0: Before we continue to chapter 16 in John, there's so much more that needs to be taken out of John 15, and last week we focused in on what it means to be fruitful, what it means to be fruitful. Now last week is comprehensive, but it's not comprehensive, there's more regarding f- fruitfulness. Like for instance, John the Baptist preached, now remain, keep with the fruits of repentance, keep with the fruits of repentance. And that was the message John the Baptist preached regarding fruits. Now, fruits aren't just you being sanctified in your life. That's one of the things we talked about, but that is a fruit. Being sanctified, that is a sign that we have been redeemed, is when we are being sanctified. We are being cleansed before Him. We are constantly walking further away from the world, closer toward God. Amen? That is a fruit. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Fruits are important. And the whole chapter of chapter 15 is about fruits. Fruits are incredibly important. And this is the confusion that existed or that still probably exists somewhat widespread in the church. But that is that you are not saved by your fruits. But your fruits is the only proof you have that you are saved. You are not saved by works, but for works. That's what the Bible says. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God. And then he says, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, or unto good works. So the first verse says you are saved by grace. And then it says without works, but then it says by grace for works. If you read it in context, you'll see it's very simple to understand. Fruits are really important. Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. And John the Baptist preached, now, keep with, uh, uh, you've got to keep with the fruits of repentance. What he's saying is, when he preached about fruits of repentance, is that if you repented, there will be signs that you did. To those who repented of their sins, they'll stop stealing money. To those who repented of uh, sexual immorality, they will walk away from it as best they can. But those are evidences of repentance. That's why we teach our kids, stop saying sorry unless I can see that you are. Right? Man, I'm so sorry I stole your, your, your $10. Well, then give it back. <laughs> right? I don't know that you are sorry until I see you show fruits of sorrow. Right, And so that's what John the Baptist was preaching. He says, now keep with the fruits of repentance. Fruits are important. Now it's very popular to refer to our relationship with Jesus as a personal relationship. We all say it. We've all been taught this. Do you have a personal relationship? Relationship with Jesus is the question that is asked on the streets. That seems to be the kind of contemporary way of referring to our relationship with Jesus. That it is personal. It is, however, our modern culture that uh, that would distinguish between a nominal Christian and a genuine Christian. In that, in those terms, they have been taught and trained to say things like, "Quote, you may go to church. You may serve in your church." You may have been baptized. You may even receive communion. But the question is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's the question. Now, that's how we have been trained in evangelism. The truth is, every human being has a personal relationship with Jesus to some degree. Even the atheist. Because the atheist and most people have a... Not so good personal relationship with Jesus, but they have one. Their personal relationship with Christ is that he's only their judge. That's all. It's a harsh relationship to have if all he is is your judge, but that is a relationship. While others also has Christ as their Savior. So asking people if they have a personal relationship with Jesus is not, listen closely, is not a biblical concept I don't want to rattle the boat too much. I just want to show you. And if you don't believe what I'm showing you, then I'll ask you, where do we see this to be the truth in Scriptures? You do not see the apostles walking around asking people if they want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's not what they asked people. The apostles preached repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he arrived standing before the elders of Ephesus, and he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 18, "...you yourselves know, elders, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews." how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was beneficial, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying, here it goes, to both Jews and Greeks, what? What did he preach them? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles, let me say this again, did not walk around asking people if they had a personal relationship with the Jesus of their imagination. Even Depeche Mode, as a personal Jesus. But in the Bible, there is no personal relationship with Jesus that saves. Everybody in the Bible has a personal relationship with Jesus. Some good, some bad. Are you all with me? Yes. Nobody can say they don't have a relationship with Christ. Even the atheist, he's denying it, but, but, but Jesus is there. How do you know? They spend their days arguing that He exists. That's how you know they have a personal relationship with Jesus, and it's a bad one. That's why they have to attempt that he's not, pretend like he's not there. It's like in the house when there's marital strife, they just pretend the other one's not there. (laughs) And so, since we realize that it is more of a pop culture idea, this personal relationship with Jesus, there is, however, very clear very clear direction as to our true relationship with Christ as believers. And this is important. And, And I'm so sorry to have to do this, but oftentimes what you have to do is you have to take the mask off in order to put the glasses on. Don't ever put glasses over a mask, right? Over your, this mask, not this one. Right? You have to take the eye, you have to take those eye caps off All the things that you were taught that's not scriptural in order to see what scriptural is. And so, we don't see the apostles teaching that message. We don't see that message in scriptures as people getting into personal relationship with Jesus. Since they already are, it's an assumed fact. The question is, what kind of relationship do you have with Christ? And the Bible is very clear on what that is. So, what is the true nature of a Christian's relationship with Christ? What is this true nature? Or what is the true nature of that relationship? Well, how do we understand the spiritual reality with our union with Christ? The Bible helps us by giving us a series of analogies to help us understand. gives us these practical, natural analogies to help us understand a spiritual truth. So first we see that the Bible refers to the relationship of believers to the Lord as the relationship between sheep and a shepherd. That's the kind of relationship. If you want to say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You might be better off asking us, is is Jesus your shepherd and are you his sheep? (laughs) There's there's greater clarity in that relationship than is, do you know him personally? The Bible also refers to that relationship as the relationship between a child and a father. We are also given the image of a relationship between a subject and a king. between a slave and a master. These are the relationships the Bible outlines for us. And it's even referred to as a relationship between a body and a head. Yes, there is a relationship, a very important one, and it functions the biblical way, not the emotional way. I have a personal, I'm close to him kind of relationship. So it's okay to be close to somebody if the slave is close to his master. It's okay to have a personal relationship if, in fact, uh, the sheep has a personal relationship with the shepherd, or if the subject has a personal relationship with the king. That's fine. But those relationships determine how we relate. By putting that aside and say, well, I have a personal relationship, that means now I choose how we relate, and I'm telling you that's how we relate. I remember Beth Moore <clears throat> preaching on Uh, how she was washing the dishes or she was in the kitchen one day. It was snowing outside. And then Jesus whispered to her and said, Beth, come outside and play in the snow with me. And she said, Oh, Jesus, are you serious? And Jesus said, Yes. Yes, I want to build a snowman with you. Now, you can go and YouTube this, but Beth Moore teaches this. And she said, Jesus, I'm so busy right now. He says, Beth, Don't be a Martha. Come and build a snowman with me. And so Beth Moore preaches that she went out and she went and built a snowman with Jesus all day long. That is a personal relationship. No, folks, that is garbage. So the reason that can go is because, the reason people buy that is because of a personal relationship undefined in biblical terms. Does it make sense? There's no subject, no king. There's no sheep, there's no shepherd. There's no slave, there's no master in this. There's no body, there's no head. No, no, it's whatever I want it to be. <laughs> right. All of these examples convey certain aspects to a relationship with the Lord. The relationship between a sheep and a shepherd conveys the idea. The reason Jesus tells us this is because he's telling us that the shepherd, their relationship is that the shepherd calls the sheep and the sheep knows his voice. That the shepherd is the one that leads the sheep to greener pastures. Believe me when I say this way. Don't go another way. The shepherd is the one protecting the sheep from the wolves. The shepherd is the one feeding these sheep. Can you see how important it is to understand the context of relationship to Christ in scriptures, in biblical terms, versus building snowmen? The relationship between a child and a father conveys the idea that God, God being the source of our existence, He is the Father, He is the Sire. You are born again because God birthed you again. Not because I thought it was a better idea to believe in Christ than in Muhammad. No, no, God birthed you again. He is your father. That is your relationship to God. He is the one raising you. He's the one training you like a father. He is the one disciplining. When you are being disciplined, it's by the Father. This is proof of the fact that you are a son. There's a relationship between the, the child and the father. and and the biblical context helps us understand what that relationship is. It's okay that it's personal, but it's not personal outside of these contexts. The relationship between a subject and a king conveys the idea that God rules over us like a king rules over his subjects, that God commands us to obey like a king commands his subjects to obey. God saves us from our enemies. That's why they were so excited about Jesus. The king of Israel is here as he came through uh, down the street into Jerusalem. They were cheering and shouting Hosanna and waving palm leaves. Why? Because their king has arrived. Why did they need a king? Because they needed their king to deliver them from the Romans. And so we have a king and we are his subject. His name is Jesus. And that is our context the context of our relationship. He rules over us. He commands us. We obey him, and he saves us from our enemies. Can you see how important it is to understand that the question, do you know Jesus personally, is so deceiving? And that, relation, that relationship is so undefined. It could be absolutely anything and still be accepted. But here in chapter 15 of John, we see another uh, instructive image helping us define our relationship to Jesus in biblical terminology. And it is the relationship between a branch and a vine. A branch and a vine. So we have the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd, the relationship between a slave and his master, the relationship between a child and his father, a relationship between a king and a king. And these subjects and now a relationship between a branch and a vine. How do they relate? Because if we understand how they relate, we understand what it means. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know God this way? Do you know God as a sheep? As the sheep knows their shepherd? Do you know God that way? Do you know God like a slave knows his master? Do you know God that way, Beth? Do you know God as a subject knows he's king who rules over? Do you know him in that that terminology, in that way? Is that how you know God? Now, do you know God in the way a branch knows the vine and the vine knows the branch? Do you know him in that way? Can I tell you why this is so very important to understand? Because... um, Jesus said, in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, right? And then he's going to say, depart from me. Why? I never knew you. No, but we have a personal relationship. He goes, I don't know what you were thinking, but you weren't a sheep. You weren't like a sheep-nosy shepherd. That's not how you knew me. You didn't know me like a slave knows a master. You didn't know me like a son knows his father. You didn't know me in these biblical terms. Make sense? And this is where the huge deception comes from, where everybody has their truth about what it means to be in a personal relationship with Jesus. So here in John 15, verse 5, we see Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. Now, when he said, I am... He was identifying himself as God because God told Moses, tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. Here he said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Then he says, the one who remains in me, in other words, the branch who remains in me, and I <clears throat> and I in him, that branch bears fruit. Can everybody please say fruit? fruit. You'll know them by there. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What he's saying, apart from me, you can't bear fruits. Have you seen the vine? Have you ever seen the branch cut off from the vine just laying over there? It shrivels up and it dies. And the only thing it's good for is fire, firewood. So today I would like us to look at some of what is conveyed to us through the idea of a relationship with Jesus, this relationship that we all have with him, as a branch relates to the vine. And I want to get just a few conclusions. The first is that our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our fruitfulness. The reason there are fruits of, fruits of the Spirit in your life, the reason the fruits of the Spirit shows up in your life is because you are connected to the vine, to Jesus, and He is the source of my forgiveness. He forgave me, therefore how can I not forgive you? He is the source of my mercy. He, I Look at the cross and recognize God's mercy in your life. How can I not show mercy to others? He is the source of me showing the fruits of the Spirit. I am patient with people. Even people who are in sin. Even sheep who like feel like, I'm patient with people. Why? Because God knows that He has been patient with me. If you can't be patient with another as they struggle growing up in God, it's because you've lost sight of how patient God was with you when you were struggling. So, you will find that, and you might go, Well, Jacques, I see a conflict. You don't seem patient with Abeth Moore. Of course not. Because God never told us to be impatient with the sheep. (laughs) You know, He leaves the 99, He goes after, He's, you know, sheep are sheep, but the wolves, this is the problem always patient with people, but you can't be patient with what happens from behind a pulpit and that's what makes me fearful about what I do My calling keeps me up at night, wakes me up in the morning my hands are sweating <laughs> because and I'm laughing about it but it's a fearful thing, it's a fearful thing because there's a greater judgment to the teacher right? But at the same time, the shepherd's the one that's supposed to go like, hey, wait, keep that away. That's a, that's a wolf, that's not a true message. So it's a responsible issue, so you fearfully do that. It's not a matter of impatience. It's a matter of faithfulness, right? I hope you're all with me, okay. Brother Steve, I think it's a little too cool, or is, is it just me? Is it too cool for you guys? No, you're fine, wonderful, okay. Our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our faithfulness. Fruitfulness, excuse me. The relationship between a branch and the vine is to convey the idea that Jesus causes us to grow. He gets the credit for it. And He causes us to be fruitful. He gets the credit for it. That's why if you arrive in heaven and you get given the crown of righteousness, crown of glory for whatever crown you receive, you will eventually take it and put it at Jesus' feet because without Him it would have been impossible for me to have qualified for the crown that I did. Our relationship with Jesus is not the basis, or our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our fruitfulness. John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can bear no fruit. The second is, our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our consistency. How many of you feel that today you are more consistent in your walk with God than what you were 10 years ago. How many of you? Some of you didn't walk with the Lord 10 years ago, but that's okay. <laughs> How many of you are more consistent today than you are five years ago? Any? And, and what we see here is that our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our consistency. He's been so consistent with me When I was unfaithful, He remained faithful, always faithful. And therefore, He has trained me in faithfulness and consistency. There are all kinds of warnings throughout the New Testament to continue in faithfulness or to to remain, as we read in John chapter 15. Other translations calls it to abide in Him. He who abides in me and I in Him, He is whom the Father loves. So there are many warnings in the New Testament to continue in faithfulness, to abide and to remain and to stay and to be consistent. Brother Han, I think it is too cold in here. Sorry. The proof, watch this, the proof of a branch that is, that is connected but dead, watch this, and here's the deception, not all who are connected are alive. The proof of a branch that is connected but dead is the fact that that branch does not remain, that branch does not stay, that branch does not abide, and that branch does not is not consistent. Ultimately, that branch shrivels up and dies. People leave. Not because I left town. People leave because they're connected but dead. Give an example. John 15, verse four and seven. You say, Well, that's not true. It was true for Judas. In John 15, verse 4 and 7, it says, Remain in me. Now remember, what, did, what happened right before this was that Jesus was at the table washing their feet. They had dinner and he said, One among you will betray me. There's somebody here that will betray me. You're know, like, Well, who is it? Nobody knew. Why? Because even Judas looked like a real disciple. He was connected to Jesus. And so in John 15, 4 and 7, it says, Remain in me, Jesus speaking, and I in you. He's now saying this to the 11 that's left. Stay in me. Judas just ran out. But you guys, I'm warning you, stay, remain in me, and I in you. This is the context of him speaking here with Judas Judas, who just left just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself and, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, Judas, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you stay, Jesus says. If you abide, Jesus says. If you continue, it is evidence that your faith is real. But you who do not remain, there's no evidence that your faith is real. There's no evidence that your connection to Christ, your personal relationship to Jesus, is real in any way. As a matter of fact, you leaving is proof of the fact that there wasn't a real connection and there wasn't a real personal relationship between you and Jesus, just like Judas never had one. If you do not stay, if you do not continue, if you do not abide, it is evidence that your connection to the vine was not authentic. So we see, number one, our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our fruitfulness. Number two, our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our consistency. We're learning what it means to be in the vine. Number three, we see that our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our joy. Of our joy. In John 15, verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Which things? He just told him about the vine and the branches. you the branches, I'm the vine. Stay in me. Stay in me. It'll be proof of the fact that you are in fact saved. And then he says this right on its heels. He says, these things I've spoken to you, all of that I've explained to you. Why? So that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be made full. Our relationship with Jesus is the basis of our joy. What relationship do we have? We have a relationship like a branch does to a vine. It doesn't get plucked out every third day and put back in every fourth and fifth day. It remains in the vine. That is the basis of your joy. The opposite, it's the inconsistency in your life that is the basis of your hopelessness. Think about this for a second. If, in fact, your relationship to Christ is the same as a branch to a vine, it stays in there, it remains. If that is the basis of your joy, the reason your joy in the Lord seeps out is because you disconnect, connect, disconnect, connect, disconnect, connect. Work five days, six days, church, (laughs) Bible school, just makes it go quicker. <laughs> Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but your consistency being staying, remaining, abiding in Him, that is the basis for your joy. So you might, you might immediately ask what I asked right there well, then what is, what is the meaning of abiding? Like, how do I stay or remain or abide in the vine? To discover what it means to abide. It must be easier, it it, it is easier to contrast it with somebody who did not stay, okay? And the person who does not abide is just like Judas. He didn't suddenly jump up and run out. He had been wondering how to unravel this thing and how to make money off of it and how to get what he wanted from it. I mean, even when, when Martha was washing his feet and wiping it with her hair, he was the one who said, Uh, why are you wasting all this money? We could have given it to the poor. And then the Bible says, but he didn't say this because he cared for the poor. He said this because he was a thief. This is still true today, right? Yeah, every four years. What about the poor? What about the poor? Yeah, what about the poor? What have you been doing for four years? The Bible tells you to care for the poor. It didn't tell you to make the government care for the poor around you. But you all know this, right? Are you all with me? Okay. Okay. Thieves. Thieves. So Judas was filled with ambition, Jesus, personal and selfish ambition. Judas was filled with everything that he could get from it and and do with what he had, his relationship that he had with Jesus. So the person who does not abide is like Judas. He's looking what he could get, not looking how he could serve. His relationship was not the relationship of a slave to a master. It was not the relationship of a son to a father. It was not the relationship of a subject to a king. It was the relationship of like how can I, how can I get away with, how much can I get, get away with here? How much can I benefit? What's in it for me? our relationship with Christ is all about giving ourselves completely not about what can he give me Judas was around Jesus he served Jesus for two years he looked the part he played the part nobody could tell the difference between Judas and the rest of the eleven disciples except for the fact that Judas did not stay Judas walked away because his mind and his heart was already filled with things other than glorifying God. Anybody who does not abide leaves. Everyone. You'll see even with this the deconstruction of my faith movement, I'm sure you've seen a lot of that. That's just a, that's just a picture of modern day Judas the deconstruction of the faith, where people walk away from their faith. It's simply because they were, never, they were connected, but they weren't alive. It wasn't a living branch. They weren't receiving any life from the vine. Anybody who does not abide, they leave what? The first thing you'll see is they leave scriptures. The second thing you'll see is they leave people. God's people, let me say it that way. They leave God's people. The third is that they leave God's work, God's business. They become disconnected to the Great Commission. They leave at these points. They're no longer vested in what God is doing. They're only vested in what they want to do. Judas. These are the people who leave. Because in their hearts they have departed from God's vision for his bride. That's why they leave his church and they leave God's vision for the the world. So anybody who does not abide leaves the scriptures. They leave God's people. They leave God's work. They leave God's vision. They leave God's great commission for their lives. They leave God's bride. But to abide means the exact opposite. They stay, they remain, they have fruit, and it is consistent to be integrated into the body of Christ is to remain in Christ. Remember the relationship between the body and the head, the body and the head. <laughs> He's telling us that you can't be part of me but just throw my body away. Folks, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Um, if I need to explain in greater terms I could, but in I would, but in in our modern day and age, people have bought into the idea that you are the church it doesn't say that you are the church you are a member within the body of christ and like each member has a function so you have a function within the body of christ you don't have a disconnected personal relationship on your terms with the almighty that is not how it works the church is actually more important than people see it to be or see her to be. That is exactly why our relationship with Christ was defined in biblical terms by body and a head. So to abide means to stay, it means to remain, it means to have fruits of consistency, it means to be integrated into a body somewhere, someplace. Now you might not like me, you might not like this church and that's totally okay, You won't be the first. (laughs) You certainly wouldn't be the first. You have to be part of a body because this is our relationship to Christ in biblical terms. So what is the proof that you are a true branch? As I was reading through this, I'm like, well, what is the proof that I am a true branch? I want to be alive. I want to be a true branch, don't you? Well, Jesus is very very clear on it. What is the proof that you are a true branch? Number one, fruit. Fruit is the proof that you are a true branch. And part of that fruit is endurance. Stay. Remain. Jesus, the whole of chapter 15, he's talking about if you stay, if you remain, if you continue, if you abide... If you stay, if you remain, if you continue, if you abide, he is making such a big deal about this to the 11 that was left. Because if you not, if you don't stay, you're like that one. Now, he didn't call him out. But now it's clear what he was saying to the disciples at the time. So what is the proof that you are a true branch? Number one, fruit. John fifteen five says I am the vine you are the branches the one who remains in me and I in him does what bears much fruit this is the proof that you are in me and that you remain in me if you want to know what fruits are then listen to last week secondly this is big if you want if you want to know that you are a true branch is that you are being pruned you are being pruned. The fact that you get pruned by the vine dresser, by the gardener, which is God the Father in this story, is proof of the fact that you are, a, if you are a branch, a living branch. Because the others get cut off and thrown away. They don't get pruned. But you get pruned because you are in him. John 15, 2 says, And every branch that bears fruit, watch this, Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. And then, of course, the logical next question is, how do I know I'm being pruned? (laughs) Because some some of the harsh things happening to me, it's literally downright my fault, right? It's a consequence that I... I mean, the debt that I'm carrying, whose fault is it? Is God pruning me by giving me all this debt? No, I got that debt. <laughs> you know? So I don't, I don't know why I'm being pruned. Well, I can't tell you that I know every way God has chosen to prune people because some have lost a lot in life. And that has been a pruning experience. But I can tell you how I've been pruned. That one way is through being addressed by God Himself through His Word. I've opened the Bible, and I've gone, I've been wrong. I am wrong. I have no way out. Just like I prune my son and my daughter unto greater fruitfulness in their lives, I'm I'm like saying, all right, Gia, we she used to do this with her when she was two or three. Whenever we get visitors, it was her job to go and welcome them at the door, right? And uh, uh, she had to be on time and she had to be dressed and she had to and so if it was, if she wasn't doing it right, I would I would correct her verbally and I'll show her how to do it, just like we have the word and we have Christ Himself. We have God correcting us verbally, and we have Christ our example. I'll correct her, and I'll show her how unto greater fruits so that she will be better at it next time. You with me? And so, my son, I've corrected him. Um, You know, uh, he used to get the rod, he hasn't gotten the rod for the longest time because I think roles are switching. I'm about to start getting the rod. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's like this tall. I better beat him up while I can. <laughs> but uh, there, there has been correction ha- happening, you know, which was painful at the time, the Bible says, but it was unto him being more respectful and being more thoughtful and considerate and, and being more responsible. And we have a rule, you know, you, 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 you train an action, but you discipline, you discipline an attitude. You train an action. I can show him over and over how to do something, how to hold a knife and a fork. And a knife. But the moment you have an attitude, well, that's just come to the room. He a, a rod. Pick up the belt. You choose the belt you want. <laughs> you know, like that's how you treat an attitude. But a dis, but an action, you, tra- you, you train. Like you would train people, train their dogs, people train, uh, you know, any animal, the horse. But they struggle to train their children because they don't understand that it's all conditioning. It's about benefit and consequence, benefit and consequence, benefit and consequence. We are driven through pain and pleasure. We, we do what we can in order to avoid pain, and we do whatever we can in order to gain pleasure. And so we condition people by training them this way. But anyway, not to go into the psychology of it, but we, we are being pruned by God. And when we are being pruned by Him, it is proof of the fact that we are a branch that's alive in Him. He says it in John 15 two, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So how do I know I'm being pruned? I can tell you how I've been pruned is by opening up the Bible and God very, very specifically showing me where sanctification is necessary. Where sanctification is necessary. And only sons listen. If he's not your father, why would you listen to him? The guy down the street, I don't have to listen to him. But my father, I I have to listen to him. So the moment you open up your Bible and it points out to you something about yourself, you are being pruned. The moment you come to church, you sit in church and you go like, ouch, (laughs) that was painful. Did you tell him about me? (laughs) Oftentimes that happens. But that's pruning. That's pruning. That's God putting his finger on something, and he's saying, you can do whatever you want to. You're not getting away with it. Yeah, but I want another. I want, I want you to give me another word, not until you first do this one. It's like you do that with your children. It's like, take out the trash. I'm not going to do it. Dad, can I play another computer game? Okay, look, if you first do what I tell you to do, then you can ask me something else. Okay, but first do what I told you, right? In the same way, what we want to do is we want another word without first obeying the word we already saw in scriptures. That's why people are running around looking for a prophet. They're looking for another word that fits them because the one they're reading doesn't. Right? And so this is how God prunes you. You see, in either case whether it's hearing a minister speak to you or whether you're reading from the Bible, you're required to humble yourself. That's what your response is to pruning, is humbling yourself. Your response to pruning is repenting. Your response to pruning is change, having the fruits of repentance. The fruits of repentance is not just saying I'm sorry, but give my $10 back and stop stealing. Pruning always cuts things away that limits the amount of fruits in your life. I'm coming to a close here. I don't want you to miss this. Pruning cuts things away that limits you from growing up. It cuts things away that stops you from becoming the person that God designed you to be. Pruning cuts things away. I can't tell you how much I've been pruned through marriage. How much I've been pruned by being a parent. How much I'm being pruned by aging. How much I'm being pruned by knowing people. Some people struggle to stay in relationships. They just can't, people can't survive around them. The moment somebody comes close to you, boom, that relationship's gone. No, you got to learn to stay in the relationships that God has given you in the body of Christ. You have to learn to stay in it. You've never met somebody raising up, discipling people. You've never met a person who disciples people who cannot stay in relationship with people. One of the requirements for discipling people is that you have the ability to stay in relationship with people. It's almost like, man, I, I could raise this kid if only they came to me at the age of 14. But all the diaper stages, I can't do that. You see? Do you know what I mean? So our walk-away point here is that there are many things people are connected to instead of the vine. They suck the sap from places other than Christ. They they try to get from places, people, and things what only they can get from Christ. For instance, joy. Like, for instance, in a marriage, me trying to get my joy from Tina is requiring from her something that only Christ can give me. Contentment. Me putting, a, putting, putting pressure on Tina so I can become content. Like, come on, get with it. I want to have a good life. <laughs> come on, woman. Why am I not happy yet? You know, um, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, until, when she's perfect, man, I'll be happy. Well, that's not true. You can't get your joy from anything she does, no matter how perfect she is, no matter how beautiful she is, no matter how she serves. Your contentment comes because you're not taking it from somebody or something or someplace like Hawaii. No, you take it from Christ. Are you with me? So there are many things people are connected to instead of the vine, instead of Christ. Some of you are connected to to a destructive vine. Connected to things, people, and thoughts that feed you poison instead of life. Connected to personal opinions instead of to biblical truth. Connected to ungodly friendships instead of godly counsel. Connected to personal ambitions, selfish ambitions, instead of the selfless service. In other words... Living to earn things instead of bear fruits. So the list goes on and on of things that we connect ourselves to in hopes of getting from it, when in fact we can only get it from God. And this is Jesus explaining to us in biblical terms what relationship he has with us. So today I'm finishing off by saying, Come to Christ stay in Him, remain in Him, abide in Him, and allow God to cut those other things away from you. Some of it might be painful, but there's joy in it. Amen. Let's get something out of the Word. Amen.